Let's turn to the Lord before we open his word. Dear Father in heaven, we come to thee as children to their father to ask a blessing, to receive the things that we need for life, dear Father. We cannot provide those things for ourselves. We don't have the ability to make sense of life on our own, to proceed one moment, dear Father, and as we realize in thy word, our lives themselves are in thy hands. So it is incumbent upon us, it's necessary, we need to come to thee and ask thee for the things pertaining to life, to life eternal, to, to real life, not um, empty, vain life that will pass away, but a life united with thee. Dear Father, we pray that thou wouldst provide again for our needs this afternoon as thou hast this morning. We're so thankful for, for the ability that, that time that we have that's set apart here, dear Father, it is precious to us. And it is most precious because we sense the nearness of thy spirit. We wish to worship thee in spirit and in truth, not with anything else or any other means, dear Father, but to, to worship thee truly with our spirits. Help us to do that even this hour. We're, we're weak. We know our flesh is weak. We get easily tired, distracted. Our minds wander. But we know that the, the inner man, this is the food, this is the sustenance for him from thy word, the meeting with, with, with other believers, dear Father, around thy word, and, and thou supplying thy children. So, dear Father, we ask for that. We pray, though, also for those who couldn't be here. We pray for those that are shut in, those that are sick and physically unable to come, and those that are bound spiritually, dear Father, even that have listened maybe to the lies of the devil and have chosen not to be here for whatever reason, whatever reason they think that may be important, and have absented themselves from the gathering of thy saints. Dear Father, speak to them. Plead with them. We know thy Holy Spirit does. And, and we ask for grace to continue to be extended. Dear Father, lastly, we pray for the gathering in, in Kitchener this uh, afternoon hour. We pray for the brothers that are to share and, and all who would share, dear Father, and all who would hear. We pray for, the, again, the operation of thy spirit there, that, that healing uh, would, would occur for those that need it, dear Father, and we all in some shape, shape or form need it, that uh, truth would, would bring clarity, dear Father, and, and above all, thy name would be praised in that gathering too. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. For this afternoon's meditation, I'd like to continue with the recent, um, our, our journey through Ephesians. And we're now at chapter 4. So Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I'd just like to read the first several verses. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I've read uh, the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 4. May God bless the reading of his word. So as we've been considering and, and reading through and, and as I've been with the Lord's help meditating on the first three chapters of Ephesians, uh, we come now to the fourth. And as I alluded to in the past, this is as a, as a sort of a dividing point in this letter. That the first three chapters were about the grand vision of God's plan, our place within that plan, how we fit in that plan. And interwoven with that teaching are Paul's prayers that we would understand, we would see this plan. He starts with, with um, um, that you know God would give you, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that you'd understand what the hope of your calling is, that what, what God has given you in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, that you would realize that you've been made alive from the dead, that you were dead in sin and, and you have been made alive in Christ. You've been a new creature. You're a dwelling place for God through the Spirit, the, the, the whole church, end of chapter 2. And then chapter 3, uh, this mystery that was revealed, that was hid from the ages past, that's now revealed that there is one body, there's one uh, church. Paul has revealed that and he prays in the end that, that we would, through all of this, that we would understand, we would come to see the love of God, to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, height, to know the love of Christ. So after those first three chapters of, of um, grand, the, 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 the big picture that Paul has led through the Spirit to, to first lay out, to explain to the believers, now he gets to the point of the more practical, the, the, uh, the response, as it were. And we come across uh, here in this first verse, the vocation wherewith you're called. And if, if I could say those first three chapters are that uh, explanation, that, that calling, that, hall of that high and heavenly calling, and these next three chapters are the, our response to it. Because that's really what a calling is. It's not a command. A calling is an invitation. All of this, all of this that's been laid out in the first three chapters is an invitation. It's a, um, something that needs to be responded to. Every calling must have a response. And really, as I look, I looked at the word vocation there, the, the Greek word klesis uh, uh, or something like that. I made the connection. It's the same word. It's related to ecclesia which is the called out ones. That's the literal Greek meaning of ecclesia, which is the word that's translated in the New Testament as church. The church is the called out ones. It's the ones that have responded to the call. The Greek word ecclesia is not a special religious word. It's, it could apply to any assembly, any group of people that have come out of the dwelling places that are now gathered in a common area. But now this is the word that the, the writers of the New Testament use to describe the church, the called out ones. 
because we have a high, we have a, a special calling. That's what Paul now, as he, as he kind of finishes that prayer at the end of chapter 3, he says, now I want to beseech you to walk worthy of that calling, the vocation wherewith you're called. And the place he starts is, um, he, he references, I'm, I'm the prisoner of the Lord, but the, the place he first starts in that kind of giving you a, an example or an explanation of what that entails, of that walking worthy, is not some grand or noble um, deeds. He doesn't say right away, you know, that you should suffer as I suffer and, and you should do all the things that I do, the, 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 the things that are, uh, really, we, we look at them like, how could we accomplish that? No, he starts at, with all lowliness and meekness. That's the first place he starts. That's how we walk worthy. That's the start of the walking worthy with the Lord. And that, my friend outside of Christ, that's the start of the responding to that call too. And that's the reason that you haven't responded to that call yet. That you have not experienced this. You may intellectually understand those first three chapters. I, I don't claim that I completely do. But if you do not have lowliness, if, if you do not have that meekness, if you're not willing to humble yourself, in response to this great invitation that's being laid out to you, you're nowhere. You haven't, you're not walking even, let alone walking worthily. This is the place that Paul starts. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I plead with you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness. And um, we may get to a certain place where we think we are being humble with, uh, with the Lord before the Lord, and uh, um, we're being suitably pious by whatever we define it. But so often, the test, the real truth that comes out is in our interaction with others. And that's what Paul says. He says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Do you want to, to really understand if, you're, if you have a, a proper lowly mind? If you really understand your place, look at your interactions with others. How much do you forbear with other people? How patient are you with them? How long-suffering are you with them? How much do you love them? That's an indication. That's an indication to me is, is where, how do I really view myself? Am I really walking in a way that's lowly and, and, and meek? With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, as I mentioned previously, uh, the reason I felt led to, to, uh, to preach from Ephesians, to, to look through this, this letter, this rich letter, which, um, and there's so much here, and we're kind of doing a, a high, high-level flyover in some sense, is because of its necessity that the, the, the truths that are revealed here about the church, about us, this gathering of, of people here and now. The church of all time, but where the rubber meets the road, where it really matters is, is here with you and me in our gathering and our interaction, just because of all of what's going on in the world around us and the stresses that are, the, 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 the tests that are being placed on Christ's body. We need to understand these things, to believe them, to see God's glorious plan for the church. And this verse here in, in, in chapter 4, it speaks so much to me about where my efforts and where my priorities ought to be and where yours ought to be if you are a member of the body, if you are 
united with Christ first of all and then united with his children endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace endeavoring endeavoring means it's it's something that has to be done with diligence you and if you endeavor to do something is I'm going to try to do it I'm, I'm going to to set my mind to do it I'm going to uh, be diligent about it to achieve whatever we're going to endeavor to do this so that tells me that there is some effort that needs to be put in here how can we endeavor to do something if we never even really think about it let alone plan it or or, or uh, uh, f um, make plans strategize about how we're going to achieve if we never even think about maintaining or, or, or um, growing and I'm, I'm, I think I'm using the wrong words here letting that unity being manifested among us then we're not walking worthy we're not fulfilling the scripture endeavoring uh, uh, really being diligent about that unity that of, of the spirit that God has in store for us that is his plan which is a product of his Holy Spirit as we're gonna see endeavoring to keep that's the interesting thing keep implies it's already been given to you and this is a beautiful thing my my friend outside of Christ all of these the treasures, the riches in Christ, they are given to you when you believe in him. They are, all these things here in verses uh, uh, 4, 5, 6, they're already given to you. The unity, the, the characteristic, the, the unity that will flow out of this is already all the things that you receive in Christ that you partake of when you become a believer in him. And so that tells me too that it's not, unity is not something we need to produce. It's not something we need to um, manufacture to seek out it is already a characteristic and attribute of those things which God has given us and as we focus on those things unity is going to come out it's going to manifest itself as we focus on our one Lord the hope of our calling this body the faith that we have the the, the baptism the calling of, of people out of this world to be separated unto Christ as we focus on those things unity will happen the unity of the Spirit Um, the, the brothers at OMIC explored this topic uh, in, a, in the past meeting and it was brought out and I thought it's, it's, it's worth to, to repeat again in case you haven't heard it that the text does not say uh, endeavoring to keep the spirit of unity it doesn't say that it says endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit there's a subtle difference there we may perceive unity as the goal and we're going to strive towards this and we're going to focus on that and we've got to line everything up and as often happens there's examples in the past you can quickly get off the path and we end up in a place that is apart from God's word that is not we're not no longer following him but as we follow the spirit God's perfect and holy spirit the unity of the spirit is manifested that's what happens then as each one of us obeys and is, uh, is obedient to that spirit endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit the spirit that has been given to all believers that will happen endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace this tells me also something about this unity that it dwells in peace and and peace is kind of like a a restraint or or a boundary for it so that when the peace is not there 
tells me there's some danger in this unity. Maybe we're, there's some uh, schism developing, some separation developing if I don't have peace with my brother and my sister anymore. A bond is a connection, that connection of peace, but it also is a bit of a restraint too. So it's a, maybe a restraint on me if I'm going to do something that is going to break that peace, is going to um, um, disrupt that peace. Is that really working for unity? Is it according to that one spirit who has as his property, as part of the Godhead, unity? Because that's who God is. He is one. That's what we read this morning. The Lord our God is one God. And that thought, I mean, we've, we've thought about holiness in, in years past. My mind just reels. I, I mean, I can't understand, let alone explain, God's oneness, his singularity, his, his perfect holiness, which is then displayed in this perfect unity of the Trinity of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. I, I don't understand that. But this scripture here is saying to me that I partake of it as I believe in Jesus Christ. I become part of this unity of the Spirit. I become one with God. Not only that, I become one with other people. There is a real, true unity of believers that's given to us through our one Lord, our one faith, our one baptism. I think that's the main thing that, um, that the Lord has laid on my heart this, this afternoon hour, that verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And that is accomplished as we realize what he has given us. He has given us one body. A body is a living organism, it's one entity that yet at the same time it supplies its needs, it functions, it achieves, it does things. And yet within that one body, within each one of our bodies, we have a spirit, an animating spirit, the, 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 the essence of us, the person that is within us, that is us. And the same thing too. This body has one spirit, this body of Christ. One hope, we all have one hope of our calling. One Lord, one head, one commander one faith, one baptism. And he concludes, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. That to me, um, so many times I fall back on, on uh, human thinking, on fleshly thinking, just to, which leads to despair. It leads to this whole kind of, well, how is this going to work out? How, how is, is the Lord going to solve our problems, right? How is he going to, um, how are we going to figure this out or that? And I don't even see the whole big picture or even what, maybe what the big challenges and problems are for us as a body. But when I read this scripture, when I read that it starts with me walking in a lowly, in a meek way, me keeping what God has already given me through his spirit, through baptism, through faith, keeping that, endeavoring to keep that, practicing that peace with others, it will happen. It does happen. God does lead all of his children along sweetly and, and, and perfectly. And in a way that uh, when I first became a believer, I could sense that. That, that first, that was such a novel. Um, there is the, 
the conversion experience, the, the, the walk with the Lord, I'm, living, I'm walking by faith with him now, but then to enter into this body and to sense that spirit of unity and that oneness among many different believers that are widely different, uh, different backgrounds, different experiences, and yet united, that was an amazing thing for me, uh, to experience that. And experiencing that, you realize this is where God dwells. In, this is his characteristic, this is who he is, his unity, his oneness, his perfection. I'd like to conclude with a beautiful psalm, which we have in our, one of our Zion Sarpims. Um, that talks about this in beautiful poetic terms. Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. This unity, and, and the, 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 the psalmist, it's David here, it's identified as, identifies that, likens it to an incense, an ointment that's all pervading. It starts, it's poured from the head and it just, it soaks down into the garments, on the beard. And I think that, you know, this characteristic as all of us are united and focused on the Lord, that, that unity that is manifested through that, how sweet and all-pervading it is. It affects everything. It inhabits everything. Everything we do, all of our interactions, it has that characteristic of unity. It's all-pervading and it covers everything. As the dew of Hermon, I had to look this up. Hermon is a mountain in the north of Israel. And then it says, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, Zion, that's the, the mountains around Jerusalem, if I understand correctly. So from the north to the south, all over the country, this dew that is coming down and covering and, and blanketing and nourishing everything, that is that spirit of unity, of, of, of true um, God-given unity, that, that essence that comes from him. And it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's where life is. Um, my friend outside of Christ, you cannot experience that until you humble yourself, until you become lowly, until you, until you realize uh, just who you are. And my brother and sister, we cannot experience that unless we become humble and lowly. Unless we let go of whatever thing that we think is our right and uh, forbear with one another in love, treat each other with love, um, that, is, that is an honor and a glory to God. May the Lord bless this uh, word and encourage us to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace.